Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. I am delighted today to be joined by Kimberly Winters. Hi, Kimberly. Hello. Thank you for being here with me today. You are the creator and host of a fantastic podcast called The Most Important Question That Everybody Should Be Asking Ever, which is, did you bring the hummus? <laughs> it is a podcast that inspires others to go vegan. She is also a certified professional coach, a Reiki practitioner, a certified crystal energy guide, and a public speaker. All around, she's a lover of life, and her goal is to help you find peace and direction you need to live your best life. And I'm totally in with her that eating a plant-based diet and becoming vegan is a big part of that. Through her coaching, Reiki, crystal work, Kimberly helps you find your way to a deeper understanding of who you are and what is meaningful to you. Some of her clients dive deep into a spiritual journey. Others go vegan. Some do both. Her signature talk, The Spiritual Energy of Food, shows us how significant an impact what we eat have on our full being, our body, our mind, and our spirit. And that is exactly what we are going to talk about today. I am so glad you're here, Kimberly. Thank you for making the time. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. To start, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your, let's say your vegan journey to start. Where did this all begin? And we'll take it from there. Sure. That sounds great. I think like any other, like any change we make in our lives, things start to change and seeds start to get planted way before we even realize what's going on. As a child, I had, um, I had a moment where I was flipping through a, a magazine. I used to read these like strawberry shortcake comics and things like that. And they had ads in the middle. And I can't imagine this was an ad in a strawberry shortcake comic, but <laughs> it was for um, an animal rights group. And the photo was a calf inside of a wooden box. And the words around that picture were, he has only three feet. And as I read the description, I was probably 10 at this point, as I read the description of this calf in a box and the explaining that the calf was chained there and it was uh the purpose of chaining the calf in this box was to eventually kill him and turn him into veal i had not had veal before then wasn't a staple in my family although i was definitely raised in a family where the center piece of every meal was was an animal a piece of an animal uh, but I had never had veal and I haven't my whole life because of that ad, but I kept eating animals because that was the society I was in the family I was in, but I never forgot about that. And then as I, as I got older, I hit high school and I started to hear about testing on animals. And at this point I had my, own, I had a job, I had my own money. So I was buying my own hair products and you know makeup and things like that. And I made it a point not to buy products that had been tested on animals, but I was still eating them. And I was still wearing leather and all those things. And then I got to college and I took an ethics course. And in that course, the professor talked about 
things like abortion and things like how smart pigs are and how we are able to kill pigs that have we know have like a viable life we know what they're capable of we know their intelligence and all those things but we you know but so many people are like oh there needs to be all these parameters around abortion and time frames and things like that another seed was planted but i was still eating animals and it took probably another couple of years yeah probably about two more years I had been out all day. This was in 2001. I'd been out all day. So I'd had takeout like three times. And my final meal of that, that evening was Burger King. So fast food, like what a day, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I came home, checked the mail and there was a magazine in the mail for me. It was PETA's Animal Times. And I do not have any idea. It was addressed to me. It wasn't just placed in the mailbox. I don't know why. I don't remember filling anything out about PETA. Uh, But I I read it because I'd always felt like I loved animals. And I'd always cared about the environment. I was always picking up other people's garbage, things like that. Turning off the water when my brother and I were brushing our teeth. So we're not using too much water. And I read that magazine cover to cover and I was a vegetarian instantly. I was still eating cheese at that point. I also had no idea how to cook. So I took a few books out of the library to start to understand what am I even going to eat as a vegetarian? Because I didn't like vegetables either. (laughs) It was... It was quite a process. And honestly, my family was kind of like, this will never stick. Kimberly doesn't eat vegetables. Uh, Okay, we'll see where this goes. Well, here we are, you know, 20 plus years later. And and veganism is not just a thing I do. It's a significant piece of who I am. And people would say, if you ask them to tell, tell someone about me, that would 100% every single time be something that came up. I'm very intrigued by this magazine that showed up in your mailbox. And I I think the PETA gods had been watching you since that (laughs) man when you were little. (laughs) Um, But, you know, speak of a sign, Mm -hmm. you know, that you needed to receive and there it was. And how did you go from being vegetarian to going vegan? So I knew even when I was, when I, you know, went vegetarian after reading that, that issue of animal times, I knew that I wanted to be vegan. It was very clear within the, the, um, the magazine. Okay. Veganism was like the next step, but I wasn't, I didn't know what to eat, but also cheese is super addictive. And can be really hard to stop eating. I was also young and dating and, you know, trying to figure out who I am in the world. And I, uh, I'd been, I'd been left during dates. I'd been dumped because guys couldn't share their food with me. Uh, there were were a lot of like, so I was like, okay, for now I'm just going to be vegetarian. 
which is really interesting because I was also that vegetarian who was like, listen to me and here's why you need to stop eating animals. But I was still eating cheese. So it's all a learning curve, right? <laughs> There's only so far away from the mainstream, anyone is ready to go at any given time. Mm-hmm. I think, right? And yeah. it's funny, you you mentioned the dating thing, because I've always said, because I went vegan, I, I started going fully plant-based. Um, my daughter was a year and a half. I had been married for, I don't know, seven years, or I had been with my husband for about seven years at that stage or eight years. And I always said, oh, it would have been easier to go vegan when I was in my early 20s and unattached and didn't have a kid. And now that I'm listening to you, I'm thinking actually maybe it was a blessing (laughs) that I had already secured a partner who also I knew, uh, and I know that's something I'm very lucky about uh, because certainly not every life companion is prepared for the kind of change Mm -hmm. um, that comes with being vegan, but he was curious enough or trusting enough to take a few steps with me although it was not easy um it was actually quite challenging but now that I think about it you know what maybe that was that was good because I can imagine how much tension there would be in a fledgling Mm -hmm. of a relationship when you can't agree on what to eat for dinner right and I eventually got really good with communicating the vegetarian thing right from the start. And, you know, whether I met someone through a dating app, which I did a bit of back then, or I met them through a friend, that was one of the first things that I would tell them. And I was always very clear that I would not cook any animal products for them. So I've, I've never made meat because I didn't cook before I went vegetarian. So I have (laughs) zero experience with that. Right. But I've always been very clear. I don't handle animals and and things like that. And um, people were either like, okay, or they said, I don't think this is going to work, which saved me a lot of um, of grief. Yeah, a lot of grief in the end. So I'm really glad that I figured that out. And so I would say to anyone listening in that situation, don't be afraid to just put it out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if they're not at all open to anything different in life, maybe it's better. You don't right. get started exactly. <laughs> at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. There is this, um, it's a cliche, but I, I often think there's some truth to it. You know, women marry thinking their husbands will change and husbands marry thinking their wives won't change and everybody's <laughs> wrong. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> but I think everybody changes, but at their own pace. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what enabled you, though, to, to do the last step to vegan? What made it possible? Because as you say, cheese is very addictive. Living in society is complicated. What made it possible? I think I went back and forth a lot. I would go vegan for a year. And then I would, I don't know, for some reason, decide to eat pizza or something. You know, Couchy's pizza. And then I would, like, I really don't want to do this. It doesn't feel right. And then I would, you know, kind of waver back and forth. And and that went on probably for more years than I even can remember. And then I finally, it finally stuck in 2015, where I'd been doing so much work on myself and just trying to understand who I wanted to be and where was I going in life. And I, I finally said to myself, you are so out of alignment with who you 
think you are and who you want to be. And it just, it just didn't make sense to still be eating cheese when I knew that it wasn't an industry I wanted to contribute to. It, It wasn't something I wanted people to, I didn't want to send the message. It was okay to eat that. And so having that deeper reason than just, you know, cheese tastes really good. Um, that deeper reason to not do it outweighed my desire for it. And it started to take on this, this view that it's not food, which I had done years and years ago with animal, with other animal products. And once you see this as not food anymore, that really helps. And as far as the physical addiction from cheese goes, if you can find a way to stay away from it, that will fade and it won't, you won't have that physical pull to it anymore. Yeah. I find about 30 days is the sweet spot Yeah, to get on top of the cravings. Mm -hmm. Um, That's about right. Well, I'm glad you made it. um, Thank you. Because you have so many interesting ideas to contribute to uh, the vegan community and, and beyond. And you just mentioned, um, spending more time wondering about who you were and what you believed in. So I'd like to take you a little bit, uh, because that's a big part of your your role today, into your spiritual journey and into mm-hmm. your more um, personal alignment story and how it might align with um, or intersect with your food story. Sure. Yeah. So I had this I've always had this view of myself as someone who was kind and compassionate and put that into the world and created a safe space for others because I'd spent so much of my life in different areas feeling as if there was no safe space for me. And having this idea that that's who I was, as I started to think about the way that I ate, because you know I had already... When I went vegetarian, I was 20 years old. I was living at home. I was able to get rid of all of my animal products outside of food, like leather shoes, handbags, products, all those things. I gave them away and was able to replace them because I didn't have anything else to spend my money on. So the only thing really holding me back from being vegan was cheese. So as I looked at who I thought I was and and the cruelty that's involved in the dairy industry, it, it just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I realized I was just so nothing about these things. I thought about myself made sense while I was still consuming cheese. So that, that really started this kind of spiritual thing that I didn't realize was happening yet. And what kicked off that real spiritual moment in my life was in September of 2020, my soul cat passed away and Cookie and I had been together for 12 years and oh, she had I'm seen sorry. me through so much. Thank you. She'd seen me through so much and I was just devastated to lose her. And when I thought about her not existing anymore, and just as a quick background, I've been an atheist and a a loud and proud atheist since I was a small (laughs) child. 
<laughs> my my mom knew from the time I was very young that I did not believe that God or anything like God was real. And I just was not into any of it. So I'd spent my whole life feeling like when you're dead, that's it. And I've lost family members. I've lost friends. But when Cookie passed away, I had this moment where I thought I cannot imagine a world where this perfect little cat does not exist in some way. And it got me thinking about energy and how, you know, science says that energy can't be created or destroyed. It just kind of changes, right? So I started to think, well, how could she be different? Maybe she's still here in some way. So I kind of had started exploring that. And funny enough, I had actually done my level one Reiki about a year before that. So I was already playing with energy. It's so interesting how we can do things and have no idea what it's leading to. Um, we, I had already been playing with energy and then losing Cookie really got me thinking about it. And I started to piece together just how we are energy and the, the energy we share. And having already been vegan for so many years, I then started to think about the energy of us combined with the animals and the way that it's a very different experience when you're eating a dish of plants versus, you know, plants that have been harvested versus eating a dish of animals who have been really tortured and then murdered. There's it's just, there's so much in that, that dish, that animal-based dish, this heaviness, the, the experience, whether we can notice it or not, this experience of consuming the body of, of someone who had lived such a, a sad and hard and really miserable, terrifying life to meet an end that also can be described by those words. There's energy still in the flesh of those animals, the muscles of those animals that people are consuming. When we take that in, how does that affect our energy? Are we then showing up scared or maybe angry, the adrenaline rush that the animals experience before they're killed. When we consume the muscles that have been flooded with that adrenaline, I just don't, I, th I started to, to think about how the kind of person that I was before, how angry I could get when I still was eating animals. And I had some things happen in life, as we all do, that also contributed to that. But I still am working through those things. And I'm not angry the way I used to be when I ate animals. I had a conversation with someone where they were talking to me about, well, what about the way that things have changed within a slaughterhouse? And they talked about Temple Grandin and creating oh, this maze Sorry. almost, right, that the yeah. animals walk through. And my thought on that is that makes us feel better as humans. It doesn't make the animals feel better. The animals are just as tuned in 
whether they can see what's happening or they just hear what's happening. They don't need to see anyway. They have much better senses of smell and perception, I think, than Mm -hmm. we do because we are so focused on, on eyesight. Right. As, as humans, we've overemphasized that. And it's, I can't, I can't stand those (laughs) illusions that people tell themselves about humane slaughter is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Sorry. Yes. No, no need to apologize. I agree 100%. Um, and so when I think about the that energy, and I think about when you look at a plate of, of animal flesh, even from the perspective of someone who thinks, oh, I want to eat that. This is food to me. The, the colors that you find on the plate never come from the animals. The it's always very brown or gray or, or kind of whitish. The, the vibrancy that you see on a plate is always from the side dishes, from the vegetables, from the fruit that you might, you might have in there. There's nothing interesting or exciting about just a, a slab of, of an animal muscle on a plate. So even just looking at the difference between a dish where the animal flesh is the center versus a dish where plants are are the the contents, there's a, a, a life within that dish of plants. And there's a vibrancy and an and energy that is uplifting. And when we consume that uplifting energy, and when we eat, we eat with our, our eyes, our mouth, our ears, our, our you know, the textures how we feel it, it's just, it's so uplifting and, and exciting. And we can take that energy and then we go into the next part of our day with that uplifted or you know expanded feeling. And I think it's so important that even if we're not looking at it from the animal's perspective, and that obviously is a significant piece of what I do and what my focus is, but even for people who are just concerned about themselves, how does that not sound good to you? (laughs) How does that not sound like the way we should and could be living and thriving? That's, that's the good stuff. That's what we need. That's what keeps us moving and that, that energy that can flow through us, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, it just brings in all the other things that we want that comes from that gorgeous bowl of vegetables. It doesn't come from a, a sad plate of a, an animal who's been killed. I find it so interesting that you're saying this about vegetables. Um, coming from the person who apparently 30 years ago did not like vegetables and I as I was listening to you I jotted down something I want to write in the future that will be called something along the lines of cooking for vegans who don't like vegetables (laughs) I think there's I think there's people who need to read this but how do you think that transition happened to you what made you able to see that because uh on the one hand, yeah, I can imagine that people like colors more than they like grayish, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, so much of the flavor of, 
of meat comes from the spices, which are plants. And I mean, all the flavor, the the fats in the meat amplify the flavors, but really the the, the flavors come from, from the plants around it. But not everybody is ready for the flavors also, right? I think so many of us have eaten bland. But anyway, I'm curious to know how how your capacity to see that and live it in your own life came about. For me, it was my commitment to not being part of the system that harms animals. My driving force has, has always been that I don't want to do that anymore. Because I've got to tell you, I ate so much pasta when I first went vegetarian. <laughs> right. Because like I said, I didn't know how to cook. And like some nights, even that, even a box of pasta was beyond my, uh, my Ability. abilities. But it, there was just this, this deep commitment within me to just keep going, keep trying, keep learning. I mean, I, I have that about me. I always want to learn new things. I'm never satisfied. I always taken on new stuff. So I had that drive anyway, but, um, but it really, it was the commitment. And I think we can do that with anything when we're truly committed to something. And I think it certainly helps that, that, that mission is bigger than we are. We can, we can do anything and I think be open to it. And then as I was open to it and I started to experience vegetables I thought, oh, this is actually pretty good. And I really started looking at my plate and thinking that looks really pretty. Even if it, you know, it wasn't prepared like, like a chef would prepare it and, you know, properly garnished and whatnot. It was just a heap of food in a bowl, but the, the vegetables themselves are just so gorgeous. I feel like there's something within all of us that draws us to it anyway. It's just very natural for us to eat these things. As you were talking, I was imagining um, orange sweet potatoes Mm. and perhaps my other favorite vegetable, which is beets. And I know that's a controversial one, Um, (laughs) but it's hard not to love the color of beets. Yeah. And I have this picture of myself on my website holding a, a pot full of beets. And I always hesitate to put it forward because I know some people don't like beets and I'm like, oh, they're going to look at me and think, oh, I'm all about beets and I don't like beets. They taste like dirt. I don't want to have anything to, you know, I, I'm afraid of the, the negative association. But how can you not like the color, the vibrancy mm-hmm. of it? Like even a dead beet that you harvested a year ago okay. will still stain the heck out of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, And that's life, you know, that's that's. Yeah. That is vibrancy, as you say, though. I appreciate that you've gone over the hump and given it a shot and made it this way. I have to ask you, um, because I'm not very familiar with the practice. I know it exists, but I realize I've never gotten around to asking the question. What is Reiki? Oh, (laughs) so Reiki is, um, it's, it's Japanese. And it's an, it's a form of energy healing and it, it, it's all about channeling the energy of the universe through us to help someone else. And 
you'll hear very often that Reiki is like no touch. It's just kind of hovering your hands over someone. And that is very common, but you actually can do Reiki with putting your hands on someone as well. There's different hand positions and the person who's doing the Reiki, they, they take at least a few minutes before the session starts to kind of tune in. You have to get very grounded and you, you have, you know, your own little ritual to pull in that energy. So you're not using your own energy. So you can do Reiki and not feel depleted when you're done, which is really cool. But you kind of just pull in this universal energy of all the things around us and, and you channel that through. And you can really help people make a shift emotionally. Sometimes people have physical changes that they experience and they, they can physically feel better. Something within them is healed. And it's just really really neat. And the, the, um, the practitioner can also sometimes receive messages. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's literally just energy flows, sessions over, people feel relaxed and really centered and grounded. Uh, but you can see visions and some people, it, it, it plays on the, the clairs of clairaudience or clairvoyance. You can, you can tune into those kinds of things as well. And you can receive messages for the person that you're doing Reiki for, uh, but that doesn't always happen, but it's a nice little extra when it does. But it, it is just a, a really simple energy practice and it's not like religious. You can call in things like angels if you have a connection to them, but it, it's very much of that physical energy that's all around us channeling that through to help someone. That's beautiful. Thank you for the explanation and thank you also for, for doing the work and being present for others in this way is I I know that it can make a difference and I was just going to ask you about your 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 work right now and how you bring in together your veganism and your work as um, I guess an energy worker and a healer or a supporter of others thank you so how it all kind of comes together we can kind of do it two ways I am a coach, so I have, although I don't, I don't always call myself that. I, I consider myself more of a guide that feels more me, if you will. Uh, <laughs> so I consider myself a, a vegan guide and people who are curious about making that shift from uh, being non-vegan or pre-vegan, if you will, and moving to a vegan lifestyle. I have a process we can go through and help people slowly do that or quickly if that's how they roll. Uh, but also in the spiritual piece, now I do uh, twice a month healing circles where we meet on Zoom and I do some distance angelic Reiki. We do meditation and visualization and it's an hour to just like check in, tune in. Sometimes we journal, sometimes people fall asleep. It's really, really nice. It's a really safe, comfortable space. And we explore energy and how we interact with it. And sometimes that can even start to plant the seeds towards veganism, even if it's not my focus. But, um, but it all kind of comes together in that the energy and the way we interact in our world and the things that we buy, the, the food items or animals we consume, they all come together and kind of create the energy of who we are. And so through my work, I use the energy 
and the healing, but also just the, the truth and the honesty of the way food is created, prepared, raised in, in, you know, in our country, in, you know, the, you know, in the Americas and even like Australia and kind of various places around the world. When we, when we tie all that together, we can figure out what our values are as we're looking at that spiritual piece, the world around us. We know who we want to be, even if we haven't uncovered it yet. There's always that like little piece inside of us. We feel a certain way about something. And even if we can't put words to it yet, that's like a kindling of who we want to be or who we truly are and we haven't let out. And so that's what I help people do. Pull out that, that bit of who they are really use their voice and make changes in their life that allow them to be fully aligned. And then they're able to show up in the world in their truest, best, most honest self. I love this so much. <laughs> and um, I'm tempted to ask you one last question. If someone is listening to this and it's talking to them but they feel that they have a lot of barriers. Maybe, yeah, this is this all sounds nice, but it's not for me because, you know, pull out the list of mm -hmm. reasons why it's not for them. What would you like them to think about? What would you like to seed the plant to, to do your, uh, in your own turn, you're planting seeds and others. So what would you do? What would you like them to know? I would like them to know that they, they can do whatever they want. And the barriers can be worked around, jumped over, pushed down. When we uncover who we are and we are willing to show up as that person, a lot of those barriers just fall away. And we don't even have to take any action against them or with them. And the people around us who may seem like barriers now, won't be the life and the potential that we can have if we're just open to exploring the person that we know is in there is just too beautiful for words thank you thank you for sharing this beautiful energy and i hope uh, many people will We'll see that this is a sign that they need to connect with you uh, because I think there's a, a lot of beautiful, beautiful work to be done, the kind of work that is really rewarding. And when I was listening to you, I was thinking also about um, an enlightening, but not in the sense of light, but in the sense of feeling lighter Ooh. and feeling like we can, we can take flight. And I, I wish that upon many, many other people. If they would like to connect with you, how can they find you? Well, they can find me uh, at my website, which is didyoubringthehummus.com. I'm also... Like I love it. it I love it so much. You like <laughs> hummus? You. Is, that, is that a thing a little, for you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So didyoubringthehummus.com is a great place to get a yes. hold of you. And you do have a podcast that is available on all the platforms. I do. Um, that people can listen to. Yes. Yes. Yep. Also, did you bring the hummus? Yep. 
Fantastic. Well, I sure will be bringing my hummus and yes. we will mix it up with pasta because it does make a wonderful dish with some colorful roasted vegetables. Mm. And I very much look forward to um, cooking something up with you again in the future. Me too.